Hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place to explore faith in Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about the kingdom that Jesus invites us into this Christmas season, so stick around. Well, hey friends, my name is Marcus and I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church and I'm so glad that you've joined us for week two of Counter Cultural Christmas, our Christmas series uh, that we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. Well, one of my responsibilities here at the church is to do some of our graphic design and it's something that kind of all of our pastoral team shares. But as I was brainstorming the creation of our Counter Cultural Christmas graphic for the series uh, alongside of Pastor Lucas, I knew I wanted to obviously, you know, make the graphic look representative of the Christmas season. And so, you know, it's red and green and, you know, all of those classic elements. But I also wanted it to be indicative in some way of what we meant by like counter-cultural. Uh, because to be honest, sometimes this is a little bit of a, like a backdoor view. Sometimes as pastors, it can be hard to innovate the wheel of sermon series names. So we come up with these names that are pithy or that are cool or that catch somebody's eye or attention, um, but maybe a little bit of a stretch from what we're actually trying to say. But as I consider this series of, of what we did intend by the word countercultural is to live in such a way that is reflective of Jesus's kingdom, that the Christmas story shows us the way that we live differently as believers. And, and it, it shows what's reflective of Jesus' kingdom, which is an upside-down kingdom. It's upside-down in the way that we often think that kingdoms are established. Because when we look at history, we see that kingdoms were established um, by, by typically through the leveraging of power and politics, uh, through the conquering of other people or other nations, and the subjugation of people under the authority of a ruler of some type. In our cultural moment right now, um, I think that we have seen the profound and tragic effects of uh, this power and authority that is wielded um, by kingdoms around us. And yet the Christmas story invites us into a different way. It invites us into a different model of expressing and experiencing power and authority in our lives. This type of rule is found in the Christmas story through another king, and the book of Matthew almost creates a little bit of a character sketch between two kings uh, in this story. And the Christmas season is so interesting because it's full of contrast. It's full of contrast. We see uh, the young Mary who is pregnant with, with baby Jesus. And then we see the contrast of um, Elizabeth who is far beyond her years, scripture says, and who is actually should be unable to carry a child because of her age and yet miraculously does. There's a silence of Zechariah as he's made mute for a time in the Christmas story. And there's the loud and beautiful rejoicing of angels and shepherds and, and wise men as they come to visit uh, baby Jesus at his birth. There's a darkness of the night in which Jesus was born, and yet the bright shining star that led the Magi. There's the expression of power and authority that hurts and damages and oppresses in King Herod. And there's a power and authority that is found in a small, humble infant that brings hope and joy and freedom. And so these last two characters are the ones that we're going to kind of be looking at today. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down uh, because it's going to help us guide, guide us through our time together this morning. 
It says the story of Jesus invites us into a countercultural experience of power and authority. The story of Jesus invites us into a countercultural experience of power and authority. So today we're going to be reading uh, from Matthew chapter 2 in a couple of different spots and then also a couple different parts of the Bible as well. And if you don't have a Bible with us uh, or with you, we would love to give you one, either through a digital copy or through like a physical Bible. So if you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, it will give you all the ways that you can find one. Uh, but before we jump into scripture, let's quickly pray. Well, God, thank you so much that uh, you give us a different way of living. That as we find ourselves constrained and challenged and frustrated, um, sometimes by the way that we find ourselves in the world, that you offer us a different way through you. God, I pray that we would follow you today and that my words would be so quiet and that your voice, which speaks to us still today, would be so clear for our hearts and our ears and our minds today. God, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Well, we see the first king of this story introduced, King Herod. And when we read about King Herod in the Christmas story, he's given like less than a chapter of space. So he almost seems like he should be kind of a momentary blip in the narrative uh, of the Christmas story, but also in history. But that's actually not the case as we look at history. His story is actually quite interesting um, and is really important for us to be able to understand why he's mentioned in our story today. Well, Herod the Great, this is the Herod that we're talking about. It's confusing. There's a couple Herods throughout scripture. But Herod the Great is the one that we're talking about. And he was an Edomite. And he uh, was sometime in his life, probably in his earlier years, he had converted to Judaism, uh, the religion that was of God's people. And so he uh, lived kind of a little bit of a double life where his rule was appointed by the Romans. And yet he ruled over Judea, which is uh, God's people, the Jewish people. And so when we consider uh, his authority and power that he was given, you know, the fact that he was Jewish, that it would seem that likely he would have led in such a way that benefited the Jews. But this was actually not the case. Uh, to some extent, he actually ruled in a way that outwardly seemed that this was, um, but is maybe not the case when you dig a little bit deeper. Carson, a, a popular commentator, says this. He says he, and this is King Herod, was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, and excellent administrator and clever enough to remain in the good graces of successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb, and his building projects, including the temple begun in 20 BC, were admired even by his foes. But in reality, actually King Herod lived and led in a very opposite and different way. He was a punitive, cruel ruler who did anything he could to hold on to his power and authority including oppressing the very people that he identified with, the Jews. And Herod seemed to be paranoid when it came to holding on to his power. And, and he was so paranoid that when he came to power shortly after, he actually murdered 300 Jewish court officers. Um, he executed his wife, Mariamne, at, with no basis other than he was suspicious that she was conspiring against him. He murdered her mother, Alexandra, his eldest son, Antipater, his two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. And so this guy really wasn't joking. 
He was really willing to go as far as he needed to hold on to his authority and power. And it's very clear that he wielded it as a weapon. So it's not surprising when we read in Matthew 2, verse 3 to 4, uh, that when Herod the king heard this, that Jesus had been born and that they were going to worship the king of kings, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. We see that this troubled spirit led Herod to explore just who this Jesus was, especially because he was given the title the King of the Jews, like almost before he was even born. And, and we see, obviously, that as a, a new king is beginning to be identified and rising up, that that current king had a timeline. And so Herod wanted to extend his timeline however he could. And so he asks, he inquires about who this Jesus is. But obviously his reasons for exploring who Jesus is uh, were not born out of a genuine desire to know him. But they were actually born and, and fueled by insecurity and a fear of losing the power that he desperately held on to. And if I can just take a bit of an aside uh, from our story, all of us are either on a journey of exploring faith or are growing in faith. And friends, the posture, uh, the attitude in which we approach Jesus will often determine the outcome of what we find. Well, if you approach Jesus, whether a believer or somebody exploring faith, with an attitude of suspicion or cynicism, then you will always, always find a Jesus that is untrustworthy and that's easy to dismiss and, and who only serves to bolster your suspicion or your cynicism. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. There's a better way to kind of approach exploring faith, to approach Jesus. It doesn't have to be that way because all of us have a choice in how we explore faith. And I think that it needs to be in opposition to cynicism and suspicion. But what is that? What is kind of the antidote to cynicism and suspicion? Well, it's not being kind, it's not being nice, um, it's not being, you know, even a good person. But I think the antidote to cynicism and suspicion is curiosity. I think it's curiosity because cynicism dismisses, cynicism uh, bolsters your own bias, cynicism uh, is not willing to open yourself up to being wrong, but curiosity does all of those things. Curiosity uh, lends itself to potentially being wrong. Curiosity lends itself to learning something new and growing as a result. And so I think when we explore faith in Jesus with curiosity, we find a picture of Jesus as winsome, that is true, and that is transformative and life-changing. And so how will you approach Jesus this Christmas season? Will you explore faith in Jesus with suspicion and cynicism? Or will you maybe choose to be curious this Christmas season? Will you be curious as to who this Jesus is? Let's jump back into our story as we jump down actually to verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, King Herod tried to find out uh, where Jesus was by enlisting the wise men to uh, come back and report to Herod where they had gone to worship him. Because the wise men said, hey, Herod, we're worshiping this king of the Jews. Uh, we are following the star. We're going to go visit him. And, 
And King Harry says, hey, great idea. When you worship him, come back to me and let me know where he is so I can also worship him too. But in reality, he had much worse intentions at heart. And, and so it, there was a series of dreams. Joseph, and Mary, Joseph had a dream uh, that he needed to escape from Bethlehem and, fly, and, and take flight to Egypt. And so he and his wife and, and newborn baby flee there. And then also the wise men were given uh, a dream and, and God revealed them, himself through them through that dream as well, saying, hey, don't go back to King Herod, but go back a different way. And so they left and they never returned to Herod. But this infuriated the king. And unfortunately, as his character reveals in our story, he responded with rage. Again, Herod used his authority in whatever way allowed him to hold on to his power. And this is seen most tragically in this particular part of scripture. And so Herod wields his power and authority as a weapon. But the message of Christmas is that the power and the authority of kingdoms built by human hands are not the ones that we put our trust in. They're not the ones that we put stock in and they're not the ones that we worship. The story of Jesus invites us actually into a counter-cultural experience of authority and power that is vastly different than what we find in this world. But since all of us live in a sin-tainted world, any structure of authority and power will in some way or can easily become corrupted. But Jesus offers us a better way and a better experience of authority and power. Isn't it so interesting that Jesus, in his willingness to come to earth and bring final resolution to the power of sin in our world, chose first to come as a baby? Now, if you know me, uh, and maybe you don't, I love babies. I find them super fun. They're really fun to hold. They're fun to kind of make fun faces with. And they're also really fun to give back, you know, once they start crying or, you know, when the time comes. And, you know, as I would say I'm like good at like holding babies and managing babies. And some people call me the baby whisperer because sometimes I can put, you know, those children to sleep and whatever. Um, but it's crazy, as much as I love babies, as much as I find them fun and just a source of joy, I also find them like deeply terrifying. Like what is it about these tiny little humans is so like fear inducing and so intimidating? Well, there are two things that freak me out with babies. One, when they're not strong enough to hold up their heads and so they kind of like bobble head around and so I'm constantly like, ah, cause it just scares me with, you know, that's a lot of important things moving around quickly. And two, handing babies off or back to their parents. And, and I'm afraid of those two things because babies are fragile. They are fragile. And so when I have to hand off a baby, I literally just like sit there and I'm like holding this baby and a parent's like kind of like, hey, are you gonna like hand them off? I'm like, nope, I'm holding them right here and I'm so unhelpful. So they have to like scoop the baby out of my hands and hold them uh, themselves. And I do it because I'm so afraid of like passing them off and hurting their fragile baby that I just don't do it because it intimidates me. And it's in that vessel that the God of the universe chose to come to earth as a humble child. There's a contrast here though, because by no means is Jesus' power and authority and, and divinity diminished because of the frame he chose to dwell in here on earth. But his power and authority is shown through a gentle, humble vessel. Spurgeon comments uh, on this contrast when he says this. He says, the stir begins as soon as Christ is born. He has not spoken a word. He has not wrought a miracle. 
He has not proclaimed a single doctrine. But when Jesus was born, the quote, at very first, while as yet you hear nothing but infant cries and can see nothing but infant weakness, still his influence upon the world is manifest. When Jesus was born, there came wise men from the East and so on. There is infinite power even in an infant savior. From the moment of his incarnation, Jesus makes it clear that his kingdom is established with great power and great authority. In fact, it, it actually unseats and, and begins to destabilize uh, a long-standing king's longevity and rule, but is one that is coupled with great humility and great meekness. Because Jesus' kingdom and, and power are so countercultural because they flip everything upside down. Power and authority is not expressed like Herod in oppression, in subjugation, and in cruelty, but in humility and servanthood and freedom. And, that, and what better picture to see this humility than in a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger? And that's what great strength and power and authority is, servant-heartedness freedom, humility. If you think those things are weak, then I would encourage you to open your Bibles and read just where that servanthood led Jesus. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7, uh, is a prophecy of Jesus' birth and also his coming kingdom. It says, For to us a son is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Listen to those words of Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom of God, mighty, everlasting, peaceful, just, and righteous. Well, I don't know about you, but those words are incredibly endearing, especially uh, during this year and especially all that's gone on around us over this season, because our world has seen brokenness, death, hopelessness, declining mental health, physical health, and devastation like it hasn't had in at least my history. And this world needs a king and a kingdom that is mighty, that is everlasting, that is peaceful and just and righteous like it never has before. And this is the countercultural kingdom and power and authority that Jesus invites you into and invites you to submit under, even amidst all that is going on in our world. And this kingdom was, was and is established by sacrifice and servanthood rather than oppression and dominance. This is the king that we worship today and the kingdom that we are invited into together. The one who in Philippians 2 verse 5 to 10 says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, let's not forget that Jesus didn't just come to overrule the power of the day. He, he absolutely cares about the injustices in our world and will exact his justice when he comes again. But, but friends, that's not, that time is not yet. His justice actually extends far beyond that, far further than that, because he came to overrule the power and dominion of sin and darkness in our world and in your and my life today. This is a beautiful story that Christmas invites us into, that Jesus has provided a better way so that we don't have to live under the oppression and subjugation and domination by the ruler of the world who is Satan. And the invitation to join this upside down kingdom is free for each of us. And not only that, but if you've been a part of that kingdom, but has maybe strayed, that this kingdom is still inviting you to come home to the King of Kings as well. Whereas the kingdom of the enemy seeks to rule over you in a dominating way and trap you, the kingdom of Jesus is freedom through submission to Jesus. The currency of God's kingdom is still submission and, and coming under his authority. But it's one that uh, is done in a way that we meet our humble King, Jesus who is called Emmanuel, God who dwells with us. God who dwells with us. Well, friends, the only person that, that wields power and authority in a perfect way is Jesus. It's not a political party. It's not a socioeconomic system. That's not even what this what Christmas story is about, but a person who is Jesus. The story of Jesus invites us into a countercultural experience of authority and power. And what a thrill of hope that is to us today as we see the brokenness in our world. For those of us who are believers, as we come under the authority and power of Jesus Christ, he graciously empowers us, which is not by our merit, with authority to be agents of hope and goodness in our world. It can be easy to see the example of King Herod and think, oh, well, that's that person. That's that authority figure. That's that person over there. But friends, the hard truth is that he can easily be each of us. That we too can miss the beautiful gift of the true king as we try to establish our own broken kingdoms. And this Christmas season is such a powerful moment to be able to be participators in, with Jesus to spread hope and goodness and stand against the darkness that persists in our world. And so can we be people who determine in our hearts to build his perfect kingdom over our broken ones? If you're not a believer, how will you explore faith in Jesus this season? Will you approach the humble King of Kings with skepticism and cynicism? Or will you choose to be curious? Will you embrace the upside down of this counter-cultural Christmas? You know, later in scripture, it says in order to gain our lives, we must lose them. And so will you choose to submit to the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, who is Jesus. And today I want to conclude with the invitation of a Christmas carol, Joy to the World, since tis the season. 
says joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world, the savior reigns. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove his righteousness. And so friends today, let's make room for his kingdom to grow in our lives and our world as we experience this countercultural authority and power in our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, that you love us and that you are the King of Kings that we get to submit to and that our submission to you brings freedom and hope and joy and life. And so Lord, may we embrace that this Christmas season and may we share that with those that we find ourselves with as well. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you came to this earth to save us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends, for joining us today. Hey everyone, uh, there's a few things that you need to know as we enter into the Christmas season here at Evangel Church. Uh, the most important thing is we want to invite you to our Christmas Eve service. That is going to be Christmas Eve, December 24th at 6.30 p.m. Now because of some of the requirements from our public health office, we do need you to register. And so you can go to myevangel.church and you'll see the registration page right there in the main page for our Christmas Eve service. And so register everyone that's coming within your family. You just have to put the number. Uh, the only protocol that you really need to know about in terms of coming to the service is we're just going to ask that you wear your mask for the duration of the service. But otherwise, we are excited to have you come and celebrate this Christmas season with us. For our church family, those of you that are looking at giving, end of year giving, we just want to let you know that there are a few dates that you need to know. Uh, we will be open, our office will be open into December 24th. However, December 25th, all the way to the 30th, our offices will be closed. Now please note, the 26th is a Sunday. We are going to be having the 26th, that Sunday, exclusively online. There will be no in-person gathering that day. So that's Boxing Day. It'll be completely online. And so we invite you 9 o'clock to join us the Boxing Day morning at your home, at your leisure, online. But we look forward to that. We will be in the office December 31st. So the last day of the year, that's a Friday, we will be in the office for your uh, end of year giving for those that want to give within this calendar year. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks for being with us and we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.